I would like to preach to you today based on our reading from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 4. And here we have Paul encouraging the church at Thessalonica in the blessed hope that we have as Christians. Yes, we grieve, but we don't grieve as people who do not have hope. A couple of weeks ago, we had to put our dog down, put our dog to sleep. 14-year-old Holly, and um, she lived a good life, a long life in dog years. But that provoked a lot of questions uh, for our six-year-old Lydia. And she was asking me these questions, what happened to Holly's body? And I said that the dog was cremated. What is cremation? And then on and on it went. And then the next day or so, she came to me in the morning. It was just us. And she said, um, she said, Dad, Daddy, when we die, if we turn to dust and ashes like Holly did, does that mean we become nothing? And she was looking for a word of, of hope, a word of, as a six-year-old, a word of hope in the face of death and mortality. It's a deep human instinct. And, um, of course, I did give her a word of hope. And uh, I'm going to give you a word of hope today, too. You know, in the ancient world, in, in the New Testament time period, the Greco-Roman world, many people didn't have a basis for real hope beyond the grave. And they wrote about this. There was one writer who said at this time, he said, hope is for the living. The dead are without hope. And many people in our world today don't have hope for beyond the grave. But what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's assuring us, he's assuring these believers and he's assuring us of the hope that we have because of Jesus Christ. And it seems like in this community there have been some people that passed away recently and there was grieving that was happening in the community because they didn't quite understand where these people were and what the situation was And so Paul writes these, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, of those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So I want to talk you through this passage. I want to talk about the basis of our hope and the content of this hope and then the consequences of this hope that we have, the blessed hope that we have in Christ. And the basis of our hope is very simply found in verse 14, and and we know this, we just need to remind ourselves of this. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring him with him, those who have fallen asleep. The foundation of our hope as Christians for life beyond this life is that Jesus died and rose again. It's the resurrection of Jesus that is the bedrock of our faith, the foundation of this hope. So it is not blind hope. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about faith as a leap, a leap in the darkness, as if there's no reason why we believe what we believe. But the Apostle Paul is saying, no, you do have a reason for your hope, for life beyond this life, and that is God raised Jesus from the dead. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Christian hope is not blind hope. It's not wishful thinking. 
It's not a psychological crutch. It's based on something that God did, God performing this great miracle over 2,000 years ago when he raised Jesus of Nazareth from the grave. That is the basis of our hope. Now, if that didn't happen, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, our faith is in vain. Our preaching is in vain. I need to get a new profession. And of all people, we are to be most pitied, Paul says, because we have been living our life based on a delusion. But Paul says, but indeed, Christ has been raised. The first fruit of those who will be resurrected. But indeed, Christ had been is raised. And Paul knew that from personal experience because he was a witness. He encountered the risen Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians, he talks about other witnesses. And some of them, some of them he says, are still alive today. You can go and talk to them. Uh, it's based on what God did in Jesus Christ. And there is witness to this. So that is the foundation of our hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And this is something that we have to get into our hearts and into our heads and let the reality and the truth of that sink in, especially as we go through times of grief and face our own mortality. There was an Anglican pastor, was an Anglican pastor named David uh, Watson during the 70s and 80s, I think, was when he was most active. In midlife, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer and he wrote a book about his experience. And, um, and he did. He eventually died right after writing this book. A couple months later, he died. He passed away. In this book, he talks about his journey through that experience. And at one point, he talks about how he went through a period of doubt, of questioning, naturally. And uh, he said these waves of doubt and discouragement would come to him in the middle of the night. He's in the hospital getting treatment. And he would begin to just think through, why do I believe what I believe? Just to kind of take intellectual inventory. Just to reassure himself that he had a basis for believing in Jesus. And he said one of the questions was, did Jesus really rise from the dead? He's wrestling with that as he's facing his own death. And he said this, he said, I had for many years sifted through the evidence for this until I was sure beyond reasonable doubt that the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact. He had done some intellectual work and he had come to this conclusion beyond reasonable doubt that the resurrection of Jesus was a plain historical fact. He said, intellectually, I was convinced as possibly as I possibly could that Jesus is alive and that there is solid ground for my future hopes. And that is the basis of our hope. That is the solid ground for our hope that Jesus Christ is alive. I would encourage you, if you've never done this, take some time to do some research on the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. So that if you get to a place like David Watson was, where he's in the hospital and he's contemplating, he's on the doorstep of eternity, he's facing his own mortality, you can say, I believe this because there's good reasons. Not just because I want to, but because there are good reasons good evidence to believe this that can shore up your faith. And certainly it's important to know some reasons so we can share our faith with other people. We can give reasons for why we believe what we believe. But that is the foundation of our hope. God raised Jesus from the dead. What about the content? What does this mean 
for us? What happens when a believer in Jesus dies? Paul says, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him. That's the key with him. Those who have fallen asleep, we will be with him. And so we will always be with the Lord. Verse 17. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14 to encourage them just before he's getting ready to fulfill his mission and die and and be raised again and ascend to heaven. Jesus said to his disciples, because I live, you also will live. And then he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. You see this relational language with the Lord Jesus says, you will be with me. I will take you to myself. The God we worship, the God we serve is a relational God. A God of love. This relationship that we have with God of knowing and trusting and loving him is an eternal relationship. God is an eternal God. His life is eternal. And out of love for us, he draws us into this relationship with himself and he promises this is going to go on forever. It's an eternal love. Death cannot defeat the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, Jesus says. I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What a precious hope that we have. Now, Paul here is addressing what happens to Christians at the end of time when Christ returns. So he says the dead in Christ will rise first. This is the hope of bodily resurrection. We believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting, we say in the creeds. We believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Now, this raises a question, doesn't it? What happens in the meantime between a believer's death and then when Christ returns at the end of time? What about that middle period? And Paul uses some language here that raises questions. He talks about believers falling asleep. And some people teach, based on that language, that Paul is talking about soul sleep. That when a Christian dies, they go into this unconscious state and then they are awakened again at the second coming of Christ. But there's this period of unconsciousness, kind of a murky, non-existent period. I don't believe that's what the Scripture teaches overall. I don't believe that because there's several Scriptures that talk about as soon as a, a believer dies, they're in the presence of the Lord. So, for example, Jesus on the cross. What does he say to the penitent thief who's about to die? Today, you will be with me in paradise. And Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. And there's another place where Paul talks about in Philippians. He says, my desire is to be with you, but, but, but also I'm torn. My desire is to depart and to be with the Lord. He was at the end of his life when he wrote that. So Paul believes that when a believer dies, he's in the presence of the Lord. In Resurrection Day, we awaken to a new state of existence where the body and the soul is reunited. But I believe that uh, came across a, a, a piece of poetry from Longfellow. When he wrote this, I, I believe he was right when he wrote this. Life is real. Life is earnest. The grave is not the goal. Dust thou art, to dust thou will returnest, was never spoken of the soul. God has made us for an eternal relationship with him. We believe in the resurrection of the body. 
There's an incompleteness, I think, to our being until the soul and the body are reunited again. And that will happen on the day when Christ returns. We will be raised to new life, new body, new heaven, new earth. That's our ultimate hope. But in the meantime, it's a comfort to know that when we die, we are in the presence of the Lord. We are with him. I was reminded of that very simple fact. I've been reminded of that very simple fact going to quite a few funerals and memorial services and visiting last week. We visited a lady from our former church who just lost her husband of 54 years, 54 years. They 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 shared life together. And so she was talking about this and grieving naturally and uh, talking about their final days and his final hours. But she said towards the end of that time, she says, I know he's safe. I know where he is. And I know I'm going to join him someday. We grieve, but not without hope. Very simple illustration of the power of this and the reality of this in a Christian's life. Well, what about those who are still alive when Christ returns? These early Christians lived with this sense that Christ could return. They believed that he was going to return very soon. And Paul describes the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ in this way. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And here it is again. So we will always be, always be with the Lord. Paul is using a lot of Old Testament imagery here to capture this scene of majesty and judgment and and tremendous the tremendous presence of of Christ when he returns again i think he's hearkening back in some ways to what happened on mount sinai mount sinai was enveloped with a cloud and there was a trumpet blast that happened on mount sinai as well and this image of of clouds and Christ returning uh with the clouds and, and we meeting Christ in, in the clouds, I think echoes Daniel chapter 7. It's a very important prophecy of the Son of Man coming at the end of time with the clouds to take dominion over the entire world. Dominion of all nations. It's an image of Christ coming in majesty, in lordship, as king. And we believe he will come as king and as judge of the living and the dead one day. So these are images of Christ, our King, coming again, which could happen any day. That was the point of the parable of the virgins. They were, half of them were unprepared to meet the Lord. We don't know the day or the hour, so we're to watch, to be prepared, to always be ready every day to be ready to meet the Lord on that day. If we were ready every day, we'll be ready for that day to meet him. We're ready as we go about the Lord's work. We're ready as we live a life of repentance and faith in him. We will always be ready. So Paul is encouraging these Christians at Thessalonica. He's encouraging us. We will always be with the Lord. That is the content. That is the ultimate hope that we have. This ultimate destination to be in the presence of God. And the people of God forever. So what are the consequences of this? Well, we've already talked about it. We grieve, it's appropriate for us to grieve, but not without hope. Not like others who don't have hope. 
And we are to comfort one another. This has a sense of strengthening one another with these words. These words are comforting words. We are to comfort ourselves in this hope and we're to comfort one another in this hope. As we go through periods of grief, mourning, as we see other people going through these difficult things, we can strengthen them with the hope that's in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever attended a service where this hope wasn't there. I've had to conduct some services as a minister where people didn't have this hope, where the person who died, there was no, not a shred of evidence that they had faith in Christ or in God, and the people and the families had, had no hope as well. It is empty. It is dark. You walk away kind of despairing that you wish these people had this hope. Exactly. <laughs> that they might have the, the, the triumph that we enjoy, the victory. <laughs> That's okay, it happens. But I, I remember reading one time uh, Lisa Beamer. You know who Lisa Beamer is? Todd Beamer's widow. Todd Beamer was the guy on Flight 93 on 9-11 who said those famous words, let's roll, let's take down this plane before it gets to Washington. And uh, <laughs> any, do we need technical assistance here? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, she said she attended a lot of memorial services during that time after that, after her husband died. She attended one at the site of the crash in uh, Pennsylvania. And this is Lisa Beamer. And she said, you know, I was listening to these wonderful, well-intentioned speakers and they did their best to comfort us. But there was little, if any, direct reference to the power of God. And she said, I felt I was sliding down into a deep crevasse. It was one of the low points in my grieving. She said, it wasn't the people. It wasn't the event. It wasn't the, fa- the place. It was just the reality of how hopeless the world is when you don't factor God into the equation. We don't do that. With God, there is hope. The God we serve is a God of hope. The God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is a God of hope. So let's take comfort in that. You know, in the years to come, we don't know what the future holds. There'll be people that we love, family members, members of this congregation, who will go on to glory, um, to enjoy eternal life, true life, and we'll be left behind and we will grieve, but not without hope, because we will one day be together with the Lord. What a blessed hope we have as Christians. Amen.